chapter 3, we're going to start here with verses 14 and 15, and then we're going to turn from there and go into the book of Luke. So basically the opening is, we're looking at a familiar Christmas story this morning, and basically we think of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, we think of the first advent, which means a coming to, a coming to us, and so basically it starts with a curse. And this is where it starts. We're going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." Now, when have you ever seen these Bible verses on somebody's front yard for Christmas for some kind of an advertisement of what really happened? Now, you're going to see the infancy narrative. You're going to see the shepherds. You're going to see the lights and all that. But where do you see this? Today, we're looking at a familiar story around this time of year we've gone, that, we've, that we're going to look at here. And you know what brings to mind is basically the first advent of our Lord Jesus Christ comes from a curse that is given here as we've just read. Now, a lot of people have a lot of ways of thinking about Christmas. Uh, I think of uh, one of the things that comes to mind after watching a movie the other night called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And it's a story about Charles Dickens and how he brought the Christmas carol together. And I think it's very interesting that basically, well, with his perspective of Christmas, he believed in lightening one's burden. And he wrote to show that Christmas was about giving, it was about being for warmth and family, lightening others' burdens. He hated the workhouses that your children were being sent to, and he wrote a Christmas carol with the hopes of people being awakened. He thought that this was the problem in society, and he made several quotes to back that up. One of them was, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of it to anyone else, and that's from Charles Dickens. And basically, that's a very good thought. Some think that he actually was a Christian. It actually turns out that he was an enlightened Unitarian, is what his religion actually was, and he did not believe in the Trinity. So that's not good. But he had a lot of good things to say, and of course, we've all enjoyed that, uh, that movie. But we see that what tw- what tw- December 25th is to many Christians is, it's, of course, it's the birth of our Savior. And we don't, we, what we do not see is that being represented or uplifted as much as what we know as Christians is how are we uplifted? What is it that uplifts us and what do we know about this advent of Christ? What we look at at this first is that we just read there was a curse that came from the garden. And what happens is something that we actually sing. We sing it in one of the most popular uh, songs around this time of the year, Enjoy to the World. And look at the second, the second stanza. No more let sins and sorrows grow. No thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. So Christmas which is not my favorite word because it's a Catholic word, but it it is the Christ's Mass. We don't have Mass. We don't do any of all that. That's all a bunch of lies. 
But we think about the advent of Christ this time of year. Why? What is it that brought Christ to this earth in the first advent? And what's it going, what's it, Dave? Amen. There's the curse. It came from sin. And so basically, this is for, we're talking about the first advent, and then Christ says he's coming back again. And the question is, are you ready for the Messiah? We just read these verses. We see where this begins. Here is a sentence that was passed upon the tempter, who is Satan, a brute creature. He hated mankind. He lured Eve and Adam into abject rebellion against the very precious God that created them. And sadly, what happens here is that the devil's instruments must share in the devil's punishments, and because of our sin, there is a curse that we see. Can I ask um, uh, Noah, can you look up Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22, and read them? And then Matthew, Psalm 51, 5, okay? And there is a curse that we're under, and sin, and sadly, it's our nature to covetously follow this sin and to go after this wickedness. We can see this in the world today. We can see that the world groans for sin. It loves it. And it follows after it to, to the point that it's covetous of it. That's how bad it is. Pastor. Amen. So we see, we see Jesus Christ all throughout this. This is why it's good to not be a Unitarian. This is good that we believe in the thrice holy God. We don't believe in just some one big God and there's no three parts to it. Here Christ is shown right here. That's a great point Pastor Olson makes here. Go ahead and know if you have that. Romans chapter 8 verses 20 to 22. Amen. Thank you, Noah. He, it groaneth and it travaileth in pain. Where did this pain from come from? Where, where did this come from? The serpent is cursed to eat dust and crawl upon his belly. Man is cursed, and though work was never cursed. Do you know that? Do you know that did, did you know that work was never a curse? Why? Does anybody know why work was never a curse? People treat it like it is today with this entitlement society and um, all of the urban housing, the free checks that come in from, and all. But it, work is not a curse. Matthew. Well, in the garden, he had Adam and all the Exactly. And so he had Adam and Right. Amen. That's a great answer. Thank you. Very brilliant. Jacob.
Right. That's right. That's what Jack Nicholas said. He said, if you love what you do for a living, you never work a day in your life. I think that's a very good quote. It actually comes from Confucius, but I like the fact that Nicholas said it. Um, it's Matthew. That's, that's very important. Right. That's right. That's a good point because it's in our hearts. We are born the creators. Don't we love to create? Doesn't it feel good when you make something from scratch in the kitchen and it tastes good? You clean a bedroom. You fix your car when you know it's going to be a thousand bucks to take it to one of these guys down the street. And you get under the hood and you do it for two hundred bucks. You just created something for yourself. What happens is, is the truck is not going to, or car is going to move until you put the parts in it and you fix it. And then all of a sudden, doesn't that feel good? We don't evolve things. We create them. <laughs> I think that's a big difference. But, there's, but the thing is, is, I have heard people say, I have heard this, and I have seen it played out in people's lives. They think work itself is a curse. What Jacob said goes back to the curse. Work itself is not a curse. Matthew. That's right. It comes from a creator. Somebody has to be minding the store. <laughs> Somebody is the creator. And so my point is, is that when Adam's in the garden, before the sin ever hit, there he is. What was he doing? Was he applying to the Social Security Administration or going down for disability? For free checks? What was he doing? What was one of the jobs that he had? How about this one? That's a dog. That's a deer. That one's a spot-pilled platypus. I never got that one. But he, that one's a beaver. That's a possum. That's an elephant. Lisa. Right. The plants. He's, the Lord gives him dominion over his kingdom, and it takes work. It takes action. I love that. Lisa. Amen. That's right. That's right. It, it's, 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 it's a wonderful thing. And I think if we treat it like that, I mean, our lives are so much fuller. In the worst, lowest ebbs of our lives, I can tell you in my own personal life, the lowest ebbs when I really felt the worst, work, reading the Bible, praying, getting my work done at the house, all oh, work, action. Not just sitting around just loathsome and always just dwelling in our sorrows like a lot of these old country songs talk about. You know, there's a tear in my beer, you know. There's, it's doing an action, doing what's right. Lisey. Right. Right, that's a great, perfect point. And you know, this, with this curse that's found, that we're talking about, what are we learning is we're learning that we are not to be separate from God. And the separation from God is a curse that even Christ bore on the cross temporarily when He was dying. I'm going to read you a quote. I know somebody here that will know this quote. 
God has clearly spoken. Our choice is whether we are going to second-guess God or obey. What will you do? Separation is still God's answer to a day and age of predominant compromise and neutrality on the part of most born-again believers. A lot of born-again believers are not separate. Be separate. Remember this, Miss Roberta? Who wrote that? Pastor Britton. He had a, it's called the Pastor's Corner, the Pastor's Corner on Biblical Separation. I keep this in my pocket. I think this is really, that's wonderful. Separation. Look, Collingswood, you go up, what does it say on, behind there? Be ye separate. And the separation from God is where the curse comes from. But anyway, work, it's not a curse. A lot of people think it is. They don't want to work. People want freebies. They don't want to work. The Lord said it was good, but the work became loathsome with thorns and thistles, man working in toil and sorrow, the ground working against him, the curse of the woman in labor with childbirth becomes a real painful event where now when the woman carries the child, the baby can die. And it can be, then the woman can die. Many women have died in childbirth. Many women have miscarried. I mean, we've been there three times. And you know, it could be very, very difficult. But now, it's all part of the curse. And so, when we hear the words, why do bad things happen to good people? As the Christian knows, why do good things happen to bad people? That's what it's all about. Matthew, you had Psalm 51.5, right? Could you read that? In sin did my mother conceive me. That's, that's great. That's the penitential psalm by David. The world's nature and character following the curse in the garden, is, it's, it's in our nature to follow sin. It's not the first thing that a baby does when it opens its mouth for the first time. It says, I want to serve the Lord. It, that never, <laughs> it's, it's always no. You know, it's always some kind of adverse reaction. We read in Amos chapter 2, 7, the that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek and a man and his father will go in under the same maid to profane my holy name. It's innate in us to profane the name of God. It's, it's from our curse. It's from our sin. And there is a perpetual quarrel Quarrel here commenced between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil among men. And war is proclaimed between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent because the serpent in the garden was not going after Eve because he loved her. He wanted to destroy her. He wanted to grab her by the neck and pull her into hell as fast as he could. But there was something stopping, and very thing that stopped Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, to go to Damascus and try to get some more of those Christians, he ran into a great big speed bump called the church. And Christ says, I am the church. I saw a very, very interesting um, two-second like, preview of the Catholic church. And on, on this preview, it was on some news thing I was watching. I don't know if it was the internet. I don't even remember. And it says today that the church is in turmoil Speaking of the Roman Catholic Church, because of the Pope, because of the priests, because of all the filth that they're doing and all the filth that's in those places, the church is in turmoil. Well, I'll think about that. And I'm like, what church are they talking about? The Pope isn't the church. Vicar of Christ. The priests aren't the church. 
Congregation isn't the church. So what is the church doing in turmoil? They don't have the church. The church is Christ. And it says, Paul, when Christ says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He didn't say, why persecutest thou the temple in Jerusalem? Why persecutest thou me? He says, I am the church. And now you've run into a buzzsaw. And what does he do? The greatest thing he can do, he saves Paul. And look at what happens with Paul. We see here, there's a perpetual quarrel. The blow to Satan's kingdom is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ will bind him in due season and will cast him into the lake of fire. Can somebody look up Romans chapter 16, verse 20 and read that? We see here that Christ has already bound him. And we know that if we read in John chapter 16, the Lord says, Christ says, I have, I have overcome the world. I have already defeated Satan. Can we trust that? But we see this curse. What is the remedy? Who has, who has that verse? Look at, amen. Look at that, Jen, Jenny, thank you. Look at that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. It all comes from His grace. Revelations chapter 20, verse 10. Can somebody look that up? Revelations 20, 10. This is the end game. What more can you say as a Christian? What other, what other false religion can say that they have the power to control Satan and to have him already cast? Is he bound now? No. <laughs> you can look at the White House and see that. He's not bound now, but the Lord is going to take care of him, and he's going for good. So with this curse, what's the remedy for this curse? We talk about Christmas talk about December 25th. It's all representative of the first advent of Christ. I bring it up when I'm witnessing to people because one thing they can never deny when people are trying to deny Christ and saying, well, I'm glad he's part of your faith. They can't deny they don't buy presents on Christmas and they don't have Easter bunnies on Easter. They can't deny that. And so it's, there's got to be some connection to Christ on those two holidays. So that's where I start. It's like, you know, starting a baby off on tiny little, you know, little milk. And that's what I do. And and you go to this and use it as a testimony. Lisa. Amen. Right. 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 What is the antithesis of a curse? I think it's, well, it's my personal favorite name in the Bible for Christ. I love this name. The antithesis of it is a consolation. The consolation. We're going to see what that means here in a minute. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. As we try to get through this this morning, I hope we do. Luke chapter 2. Let me turn the page here. Who would like to read verses 21 to 35? If you got it, go ahead. Read it loud.
hard to even expound on that it's all it says it it says that it's it just says it amongst itself what a beautiful passage i love that name consolation of israel and we don't hear about simeon enough little cameo appearance in luke we see this man probably an older man waiting for the consolation of israel that is the answer to the curse we see here that there's only one that could lift that curse. Not the Greek philosophers, not the Roman gods, not the Pope, not religions, not false idols, not Billy Graham, and not tradition. What mankind needed was a succor, an assistance, an assuagement, an alleviation, a consolation. So where do our works fit into any of this? How can we offer up our own succor or our own, our, our own assistance, our own alleviation? When our nature is in the curse and our nature covets sin. It groans for it. You start in Luke chapter 1, we see Zacharias and Elizabeth. The events leading up are incredible where Dr. Luke records that a certain priest named Zachariah, the course of Abiah, was of the line of Judah and his wife of the daughters of Aaron. Here Zacharias and Elizabeth, much like Abraham and Sarah, were stricken in their years back in chapter 1, verse 7, and they're going to have a son. And Zacharias was troubled. He's troubled. He said, give me a sign. And the, and the angel said, well, okay, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to make you dumb because you don't believe me. And he, he, he closed his mouth until the event. See, do, do women have power? Well, sometimes in the Bible they do. Zacharias wanted to call that baby Zachariah, and Elizabeth said, no, we're going to call him John. There's the forerunner of Christ, and here's John, a little boy. And Zacharias comes back and he says, okay, we're going to call him John. And that's what happened. Mary, And then we see Mary, she considers herself to be a handmaid of the Lord, and she enters into the house of her cousin Elizabeth and, husband, and, and Elizabeth's husband, Zacharias, who heard the salutation of Mary and the baby, and the, their, the Elizabeth baby was in her womb, filled with the Holy Ghost, jumping for joy. And I love Luke one thirty seven says, "Always remember well, that, that we need to always remember this: with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
Nothing shall be impossible. So Elizabeth is stricken with years. And we see, I think it's fascinating, it's the very last verse in Luke chapter 1. We see, it says, And the child grew, this was John, and waxed strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. And I think what that means is John had his ministry until Jesus came, and that would be the end of John here on this earth. And then we see here how this consolation takes over. This consolation of Israel. What do we have to learn from that this morning? Where this is where the, this curse is being put away. We see that Mary, we see that with ceremonial unclean, seven days after childbirth and the need for purification was required in the law in Leviticus chapter 12. The mother was to offer a lamb plus or a dove or a pigeon, if she was poor, her offering was two doves or pigeons. The fact that Mary gives the turtle doves and pigeons reflects her and Joseph's financial condition, that they were humble. Remember in Isaiah 53, he, he shall be a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty we should desire. Shows the humility. He is rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Even his parents were very humble. And this also proves the fact that she, for this purification, it also proves that Mary was not sinless perfect and she should never be regarded as a savior or deity. She herself knew this all too well. She knew she needed a savior. That just annihilated a whole big part of the Catholic Church right there. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple as required by the law, where the first male is to be taken. And then we go forward. There's this man who... I believe was an elderly man. He received a prophecy and a promise very much different than the prophets of old. And remember, what was the job of a prophet? Anybody? What was the job of a prophet? Matthew. Right. To be the oracle. Oracles of doom, oracles of woe, oracles of weal. But as Pastor Olson says many times, to give bad news, basically, for the most time. With this... This was one of those good newses. This is one of the time when there's a good news. Good news. Wait, that's not a proper word, but it sounds good. Simeon has given a prophecy and a promise. He's told that the child is coming. He's told that Christ is coming. He's told that it'll happen soon, but he's given a great promise. He will not see death until he sees the Christ child. What a promise. What a prophecy. So basically, he could have literally went up on the cathedral 450 feet and jumped off of it, and he still wouldn't have died. <laughs> he was told he would not have died until he sees Christ. That sounds kind of crazy, but he wasn't going to see death. Right. Amen. Right. And every day he keeps us from dying. If we're here healthy and we're breathing, it's God's grace. It's nothing we did. I mean, the vitamins and all help, but ultimately it's the Lord that keeps us together and pulls us together. Can you imagine what people were saying? Can you imagine if this happened to you or me and we told others that we were going to see the Messiah, what would they say? 
What torment may Simeon had endured during this prophecy that he carried with him? We are not told in scriptures, but what if he did? Look, look at it. We could use our imaginations. What if we went and he went into the temple every day looking for this baby and people were saying, what is this old man doing? And he probably didn't just do it on the Sabbath day. He was probably always waiting, praying, waiting. And as the Lord says to, as the nobleman in the parable, occupy. To just be ready. And that's where the big question is. Are you, oh am I, are we ready for the coming of the Messiah? He's coming again, and are we ready? And this is what this is about. He, Simon was a devout Christian, we see in verse 25. Go back to verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Are we waiting for that? He may have faced ridicule. Perhaps many would have thought Simeon seeing Jesus would be foolish, but Israel had been waiting for a king to come, a consolation. Simeon was not counting on a, on, on, on a date. He wasn't counting on some false prophecy. He was counting on the word of the Lord. We see some of the names of Jesus in the Bible. Son of Man, Sovereign, Adonai, Emmanuel. What are some other names that are on your heart about Jesus that you know about? There's millions, <laughs> endless amounts of names. Anybody? Amen. Beautiful names. We have a Lisa bought. We we have a, a a portrait or a sign like in the in in the living room, and it has all the names of Christ on it. And there's names on there I've never even heard of. Incredible names. Anyone else? Some other names. Master builder, counselor, prince of peace. That's right. The bread of life. The word of God. The word. He didn't just follow the word. He is the word. Yes. It takes us to the book of John and the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am he. So many names. This is a special name, the consolation of Israel. The people of Israel had been tormented for years. They looked for the consolation of Israel. They looked for healing and consolation. The fact is, they looked but were not ready for the real Messiah. In fact, only a handful knew when he came. Isn't that incredible? And we just read some of the names of the people that really knew what was going on. Lisi. Right. Right. Amen. That's right. They're looking for a king. They were looking for somebody to turn turn uh, right side up the fallen booth of David. So what does Simon? What does Simeon do? He goes into the temple. Maybe growing old. Maybe his eyes were growing very dim and very weak. He sees Mary and Joseph. What does he do? The baby finally arrives. And of course, we only have a few minutes to go over, so we have to kind of like push bring all this together. What would you do if you had a newborn baby and some older gentleman came out and just ripped it out of your hands? You'd think he was crazy. But Mary, she knew something was happening. And she did not pull back with the baby. She didn't run out of the temple. She didn't say, who's this crazy guy? She gave the baby and Simeon took the baby. Isn't that incredible? He clenches the child into his arms and he breaks into song. 
What could Mary and Joseph possibly have thought, this man taking the little baby? It's fascinating how in the Old Testament, when King David would sing, the angels, the prophets, or other believers would sing, they would be praising the King of Kings. And look at the different songs there are in the Bible. What are some of the songs we see in Scripture? There's many different songs, beautiful ones, that are, that, that are sung to praise the Lord. Yes, the song of Deborah. Amen. That's a good one. I never thought of that one. Anyone else? Yes, Psalm 90, the song of Moses. What about in Luke 1, the Magnificat from Mary? The prophecy of Zacharias, the songs of the angels in chapter 2, verse 14. Now we see the song of Simeon, which Simeon sings as these other songs also identify and praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's referred to in the Latin as the Nunc Dimittis. That's what Simeon sings. It's the opening of Simeon's song. It's a, it's a definition as a noun. It's translated in a sense. It's a prayer. A prayer of song of Simeon. A can- canticle of Simeon. And look at what he sings. He takes up the baby in his arms, and it, it says, And bless God, and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of the people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Look at that. He says, no sooner than I see salvation, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to leave this mortal coil, this sin-filled, horrible, cursed earth. He wasn't afraid of the grave. He wasn't afraid of a funeral. He wasn't afraid of death. He said, I'm ready to go. Lord, you told me that I will not see death until I see this baby. And now I've seen him. I've seen salvation. I'm blessed in my heart and I'm ready to go. Is that how we feel as Christians? Or do we hold on tenaciously to every breath? Simeon was ready to go. I love this. I think what a wonderful Christmas. You don't see this on television. Put in in the cartoon or peanuts or something. You don't see this. It says he has seen enough. He has seen the Messiah, the consolation of Israel. He has seen salvation. Verse 30. And he says, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace. And there is the consolation of the curse. Isn't that incredible? What many do not believe that they need we can see that everywhere. The Pharisees with the Sadducees was the, would, would desire of Christ to see a sign from heaven. They did not believe Christ. Many didn't. When the consolation of Israel was right there before them, they required a sign, and Christ answered. Matthew chapter 16, verse 4 says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them, and he departed. You know, it it just makes you wonder. We've been studying on Wednesday night about what happened at the tomb. It says there in the book of John chapter 20, we finally see that the disciples departed and they didn't believe. They didn't believe. It didn't say they didn't believe in Christ. It didn't say they weren't saved. But they were confused about the resurrection. Mary wasn't. Mary stayed at the cross. She didn't care what happened to her. She could. I mean, that could have been a very volatile time for any Christian that stood at the cross there worshiping Christ. And she was there, and was the women, they were at the tomb. That was what took away the curse for us as Christians, was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death, His burial, His, his resurrection, 
as what Pastor Olson said about Genesis 3.15, what would you call it, the protos? And that's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the unlimited power that crushed the head of Satan, as we read in Genesis 3.15. Of course, Christ's heel was bruised. What does that mean? What does it mean that Christ's heel was bruised? He went to the cross, but it wouldn't destroy him, would it? That wasn't even as bad as that, even as bad as that horrible execution was. It would destroy anybody else. It didn't destroy him. He's, we see that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see in verse 25 tells us he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He loved the Lord. He did not need to see anything else. He's ready for the Lord to take him. He had faith in the Lord. Remember Hebrews 11, 1-3 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders attained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are not seen were not made of things to which appear. Simeon, he's now ready. He begged the Lord. Moses had begged the Lord for death. Remember that? Job cursed the day he was born. Jeremiah longed for his release. These men suffered great torment in their life and were ready to go. Simon was ready. Remember Elijah? Lord, get me out of here. I want to go now. And the Lord said, nope, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knee. But look what the patience and what the Lord wanted him to wait. He, gets, he never even sees death. He gets carted away in chariots of fire. Isn't that incredible? We see, go to verse 31, which, has, which thou hast prepared for the face of all people. Here the gospel message has been prepared for all people, tongues, tribes, and cultures. And today we hear now Jesus being called the white Jesus is nothing but an absolute racist and all. And here this is open to all. And this is the gospel. It's open to all. It was a light to lighten the Gentiles. And the glory of the people, of, of thy people Israel, we see. Gospel is universal, both Jew and Gentile. Verse 33, Mary and Joseph marveled at this elderly man that whisked away their child and are astonished at his words and reaction. And over we see, we see and even in Luke 1, Mary pondered these things in her heart. She loved her son. She loved her Savior. They loved it. And it's so sad how so many people today could care less. Simeon blessed them, and no, that no doubt he prayed with them and shared with them the joy that was in his heart. He says that the child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Well, I guess that's, I, I, that's a very important question right there. Lisey. Right. And why wouldn't he say the very things that connected in her mind with the things the angel said? Right. It was a love gift for her, really. It was. She, she, in essence, she read the Bible. She read the Old Testament. You, have, you ever even, have you ever tried to just sit down and go through the Old Testament and dig out the Messianic prophecies that are all woven in all throughout the prophets? 
throughout the, the Pentateuch. There are so many. I don't think I've ever gotten through them all. I spent a lot of time the last couple of days just in, sitting back, enjoying them. Sitting back, looking at, looking at Isaiah chapter 7. Pastor Olson says in Isaiah 9, They shall call him Wonderful Counsel, the Everlasting Father. And then you go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Moses says, there will be a servant, there will be a prophet that will come. Woe be unto those that won't listen to him. And what does Peter say about that, those that won't listen to him? 1 Peter 2 verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. That's what he is. He wasn't the Simeon. Those who receive him are raised up, 1 Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Ephesians 2, 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then we see a very distinct reference when Simeon will leave with this. A sword will pierce through the heart of Mary. And this is a perfect display of what happens to a mother when she loses her child. A sword pierces through her soul. It hurts so bad. And how can, how, how can a mom stand there and look at her son being unjustly crucified, bleeding to death, and, and murdered, and bludgeoned and tortured? Only the Holy Spirit could get her through that. For the fall and of the rising of Israel. Is Jesus Christ for your fall or for your rising? I think that's a very important question. We see in John 19.25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, His mother and His mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. So, in closing, are we watching for the Messiah? Are all our activities, passions, and our desire predicated on the coming Messiah? And do we long for His return? You know what I don't like about that bracelet that says, What would Jesus true? You know, I'd like to change that at least. It ought to say, What did Jesus, what, what did Jesus do? Not what would he do? What did he do? What hasn't he done? And consider how this world hates Christ, driven by that curse, driven by that force of Satan. We live in a world today that seeks science, medicine, technology advances, and every spiritual healing, self-help gimmick known to man to promote security. But we know Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That is the consolation. That is the remedy, the medicine, the antibiotic for the curse is the consolation of, of Israel who was Christ. Let's uh, finish with prayer. Brother Dave, could you uh, close us this morning? Thank you.